starting a series of ministry for the next 12 months. And I've entitled it The Chosen. So each Sunday we're going to cook at The Chosen and it's going to have a subtitle. So this morning is The Chosen, They Are Called. Next week it's The Chosen, It's a Wedding Party. The next week after that, The Chosen, even mother-in-law gets a touch. So we're going to look at each aspect of the life and ministry of Jesus. We're going to look up the Bible narratives in the gospel and we're going to get ourselves on fire for who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives. You know what the Bible says, that we are a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation and we belong to God this morning. Bless his name. There's a strange scripture. Well, I have thought it to be strange for many years until I finally got the full revelation of what it means. Jesus said, there are many are called, but few are chosen. And then suddenly this thought came to my mind of the PE teacher at a secondary school sending out an email to everybody, every pupil to say, I am doing trials for the football team next Tuesday. The call has got out to the whole school. But out of the whole school, 40 turn up. And out of those 40, he chooses a team. God has called many of us, but many of us have not shown up to be chosen. But I want to encourage you this morning not to sit back and be our participator in this church, but to get into the full flow of everything that God has got for you. This is what this series of ministry is all about. Jesus did not choose people just to listen to his stories. He chose these disciples that they might be with him and more so they might be like him and take his message into all the world. I'm really stirred up and have been for a while that our doctrine should just be all about Jesus. That actually what we believe should just shine Jesus through us. What did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The theology that I want in my life is not some kind of learned stuff from a dusty old book. I'm not talking about the Bible. The Bible is neither dusty or old. I'm talking about some of the commentaries, some of the, some of the some great stuff out there, some rubbish stuff out there. But I want us as a church to look at Jesus and know when we've seen him, We've seen God. And I just wanted to highlight a couple of things before I get into the meat of, of my text this morning. As an example of this, if your doctrine of the second coming causes you to fear and worry, you believe in the wrong thing. The second coming of Jesus Christ is our glorious hope. That's what the New Testament church saw it as. Our glorious hope, and as I said to you before, our glorious hope, not our miserable conclusion. God is at work in us and wants to tell us afresh, I'm coming again. And the early church did not look around for the Antichrist or the tribulation. They weren't looking for a microchip in their hand. They were looking for a rip in the sky because they knew that Jesus had made a promise on that Mount of Olives in the way that you see me go now. I'm coming back again. So I'm looking up. I'm not looking around. I could not care what the nations are doing. 
The nations are in uproar and raging. The scriptures talk about all of those things. There will be wars and rumours of wars, but our eyes are to be on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look up, the scripture says, for your redemption draws near. Let me also say, if your doctrine of salvation, and it's not that many of us articulate this, but it's how some of us live. If your doctrine of salvation drives you to have to try to be good or try to do the right things, then it's the wrong doctrine because it's by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not of yourself, it's the gift of God. In fact, Paul shouts. Shouting is the right word. He gives the Galatian Christians a right doing over. He said, you foolish Galatians, why did you start believing it was all about Jesus and now starting to believe it's all about what you can do? So I just want to encourage you this morning that whatever we teach over these next 12 months, I want our teaching about Jesus to transform the way that we live and the way that we think. We want to live like the master, don't we? So we picked this story up this morning in the Gospel of Matthew and the fourth chapter. Prior, well, post this, Jesus had commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel so this is the beginning of the story really so the disciple maker is making disciples in order for them to go out and make disciples and that's our job to make disciples he will build his church as we make disciples and so we start to look at these you're picking it up in verse 8 as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee he saw two brothers Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or another version says, I will make you fishers of men. Discipleship starts with those that don't know Jesus. Or in our case, if we're discipling people, who don't really know us too much either. You see, Jesus did not begin by looking around the synagogue for likely candidates. Now, if that had been you or me, or a recruitment agency, and Jesus only wanted 12 men to go with him, we would have probably got a short list of all the good Jewish boys that went to the synagogue and prayed regularly. All the ones that did what their parents told them, and all the ones that went to synagogue with mom and dad and prayed, and all those that had been you know loyal to the to the law and to the, the words and the prophets he, he didn't go to the temple either where where there's a whole exchange of stuff going on and all the religious activity it's it's, it's in, incredulous to me that jesus did not go to the synagogue or go to the temple but he he went to where the people were and where he found himself in that moment and the bible says he saw two brothers I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit highlighted these men to Jesus. This wasn't some kind of random act. He, he didn't just walk down the seashore that day and say to two boys, follow me. And the reason that I, I know it's not a random act is because of what Jesus explains later in the gospel narrative. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So, the Father has highlighted by the Holy Spirit these men to Jesus. And now Jesus is calling them to himself. 
I want to ask you this question this morning. Who in your world is Jesus highlighting? We would like to witness to everybody. We'd like to bring everyone to Christ. If you're a lover of Jesus and you're active in your faith, there's a desire within you, I know, as in with me, to win as many people for Christ as possible. But over the years, I've, I've noticed that, that there are times when God highlights people in your world, just like he highlighted these two fishermen to Jesus. So who in your world is God highlighted? And they're not going to be the obvious people, are they? These two guys were not the obvious they weren't the sort of people you would have thought would have easily conformed to discipleship with Jesus. No, these, these are rough, tough Galilean fishermen. The, these are men that are on boats. These are men that work long hours. These are men that work nights. These are men that drink hard and play hard. So why in the world would Jesus choose them? I ask myself that question every day about myself. Why in the world did Jesus choose me? But Jesus is a wonderful chooser, isn't he? And we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And there are people in your world and in my life that the Holy Spirit is highlighting right now. And they might look like the least possible candidates for discipleship. But I'm telling you, they're coming to faith in these next months as you reach out to them. Because it's time for us to play our part, isn't it? Jesus said to them, come and follow me. Again, it's, it's quite incredible to me that Jesus at this point didn't mention prayer. He didn't mention God. He didn't mention healing or teaching. Because Jesus knew that discipleship starts where people are. And it may be that for some people their discipleship route is further along the line. They may be well educated in the things of God and the Bible and Christianity. And it doesn't take many words from you to see them make a full commitment to Christ. But it could be that somebody in your world knows nothing at all about the gospel, has no idea about the Bible, has never prayed, has never even been in a church. That makes no difference to God. God will arrest their hearts and save them anyway. But it's quite incredible to me that Jesus starts with these Galilean fishermen. And he says, I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus makes two clear points here. He says, follow me. Or in other words, what he's saying is, let me input into your life. Let me teach you some things. There are people in your world that need your voice right now. And your witness and discipleship of them will not start about talking about God or even Jesus. It may be that you just give them a helping hand or show them some kindness because you're going to start where they are, not where they're not. It might just be a hand on someone's shoulder and say, do you want to come and talk about that? And that is a start of a journey that's going to lead somebody through to faith. Not only to faith, but to baptism, to salvation, to being part of this church, to being filled with the Holy Spirit, bringing in their family, to seeing their family saved, to seeing their children saved, to seeing their grandchildren saved, to seeing their great-great-grandchildren saved. But it could all start with one word from you, and it doesn't have to be, thus saith the Lord. Or even John 3.16. And I'm not saying we're not going to get to that point, but we have to start where people are. We want to ram people with the gospel before we've even earned the right to be heard. So he said, will you follow me? Will you let me input into your lives? Then he said, I'm going to send you out to fish for people. 
It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? But these guys did not understand ministry, but they did understand fishing. So when Jesus talks about fishing to them, they are fully cognizant of what he is saying. They know what he's talking about. He wants us to input, he wants to input into our lives and he wants us to take us out to fish for people, whatever that may mean. But we know what it means in terms of our fishing boats. It means we have to get out into some deep water. It knows that we have to cast our nets. It means we have to work jolly hard, but the rewards are good when they're really good. Scripture says, going from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boats and their father and followed him. So we start where people are, not where we want them to be. And, and, and I know the Holy Spirit highlighted something else to me which will accelerate the growth of our church and certainly help you, I am certain. I think when we talk about making disciples, we've all got that idea now that we need to be witnessing to someone and bring them towards Jesus. But the Bible, Jesus did not say go into all the world and make a disciple, singular. The scripture says go out into all the world and make disciples. And I've seen something on the last two Alpha courses, both online, which have been quite interesting, is that there are people who are coming to Jesus that are not there yet, but as a collective, three, four, five, six of them in a group, start to help each other to find the way. So the, 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 the person leading the Alpha discussion group prompts a question, then others will answer it, and there'll be a bit of a debate going on. But I've watched... And some of you who've run Alpha will know what I'm talking about. I have watched people prod other people towards Jesus who don't even know Jesus. And I think within our peer groups, I think we should have some friends that we can bring together and say, look, I'm helping Bill. I'm helping John. Shall we help each other? Jesus took a group, and that group became those that turned the world upside down. Trouble is we put all our eggs in one basket. And actually, when we're doing well with somebody, we're doing really bad with somebody else. Or, you know, it's, we don't feel good about it. It's either good or bad. But when you're discipling a group, there's always somebody that's, a, that's your raising star. And there's always somebody that's prodding other people on to help you. These are amazing thoughts. This is why I want you to see Jesus' discipleship model. He didn't just call one. Say, Peter, follow me. We'll give it 12 months. And then we'll get somebody else in. And then we'll, we'll, perhaps you'll get your brother in as well. And you can do a little bit of teaching on the side for him while we're going out doing miracles. No, Jesus told a handful of people. And that handful of people spurred each other on. Sometimes in the wrong way. They had a few rows. They had a few disagreements. They had a few challenges on the way. But blessed be the name of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost fully came, the power of God hit the place. And thousands were born again. In Matthew 9 and verse 9, he says, As Jesus was there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and he got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, the tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. I want you to notice, as Jesus said, come follow me, 
but then there's an interaction of relationship suddenly the following of jesus is now jesus being invited to matthew's house for a meal where there are other people there the tax collectors and sinners because discipleship is all about relationship with people and the problem with the church is we've been so isolated in our own church communities that for many of us we have no unchurched friends at all and nobody to disciple to faith that's a tragedy that's why we need to go out into all the world and preach the gospel not stop in church and make people like us because all we do then is get a holy huddle that never gets us anywhere we need to be in this world the scripture says but not of this world jesus took his time out with people of all persuasions and most of the time they weren't the religious people either see we want people to come to church but the truth is they want us to go for an indian or a costa or a point to shandy they do not want us they don't want to just come to church just because we say church is good but you know what in the indian restaurant i'm glad to say the holy spirit can move some weeks ago i took a young couple to costa and prayed with them and the presence of god hit that place in castlegate and the words of knowledge flowed god is everywhere and we have limited to the four walls of this church and we wonder why we're not seeing the growth that we are supposed to see listen we are missionaries in this world we're supposed to get out there i'm not one for culling meetings but i have to say in the past we've had that many meetings we've had no chance to disciple anybody to go anywhere because we've been told if we don't get here for the bible study if we don't get here for the prayer meeting listen we need to pray we need to be taught the Bible, of course we do. But all of those things should be the catalyst for us to be disciple makers. This is the call of Jesus Christ to us this morning. We're supposed to be the salt and we're supposed to be the light. And we're supposed to share in people's journeys and bring them to faith. And as we read the gospel, we see Jesus, he teaching these men he's explaining truth he's demonstrating faith he's showing compassion and hearing from his father jesus did not come to educate us jesus came to transform us if any man is in christ he is a new creation a transformation takes place he did not enroll these boils in a bible study course he allowed them to see what the father was doing in his life and they wanted to be like him and if people don't want to be like us then one they're not the people god is highlighting or two our christianity is so weak and we need to get on fire for god again when he said follow me he didn't say follow me to my classroom and look at the blackboard he said follow me and see what i do if you've seen me you've seen the father because all i'm doing is what the father's telling me to do and all i'm saying is what the father is telling me to say the disciples didn't go on a prayer course so how did they learn how to pray then that's the powerful impact that jesus had when he'd taken time out early before day or late in the evening to go alongside on his own and draw away from them and to pray to his god to god in heaven and to share his heart with his father i believe that was a discourse 
not a monologue. And the Father would speak to Jesus and Jesus would speak to the Father and highlight to him what he was going to do with him in these next few days and months that lay ahead and show him the things that he needed to do and to say. And when the disciples saw him go away and then come out with this powerful ministry of healing and deliverance, when he'd go into whole villages and everyone would be healed, not a few. The scripture said he healed them all without exception. He went straight in there. How did he do that? He was energized by the prayer and listening to the heart of his father. So now the disciples look at that and they make this deduction in their lightning minds. They're not the brightest tools in the box. But they look at Jesus and what he's been doing and they go, teach us how to pray. If that's what happens when you pray, I want to pray. So that's where discipleship starts, isn't it? When we go into our next door neighbor's front room and we say, can we pray for you? And they say, oh, I, I, I felt God then. And you can say to them, I'll tell you what, shall I come back next Monday and we'll do it again? And I'll teach you how to pray. And he's teaching them how to pray. You connect them with the heart of the Father. This stuff is not difficult. We make Christianity the most difficult thing on the face of God's earth. It's just relationship with the Father and relationship with people. And as I said to you earlier, Jesus is perfect theology. We just need to study him. So I guess this morning, as I, I draw my thoughts to some what other conclusion, the big question for all of us today is, who are you discipling to faith? Is it somebody? Is it nobody? Is it a group of people? Who is it that God has laid upon your heart? And let me say as well, this, this is not a competition. So it may be that there are two of you or three of you actually speaking to the same person. That's great. Isn't that wonderful? This is not an exclusive thing. We are a family making disciples together. And there are times when people will come into our church and they'll just walk straight in off the door, off the, off the road, and we won't know where they've come. And some of you will take them on under your wing and disciple them. And from the wings of some of our leaders will be doing the same. It doesn't matter. As long as we're bringing them on in God, they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, they're being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, learning how to give, learning how to serve, learning how to be part of the body of Christ. So they too can be disciple makers. The problem is with new Christians, we bring them in, and we don't think they're strong enough to make disciples. But actually, from the day they're born again, they can bring people to church, can't they? In fact, the, the, the new Christians are the most powerful in witness. I, you know, it's amazing to me that God answers the, the prayers of new Christians. Gee, he just seems to delight in it. They'll pray for something, and it happened. God, give us loads of new Christians. So we can pray some outrageous prayers and audacious prayers. But who are we discipling this morning to Christ? 1 Thessalonians and chapter 1. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of a severe suffering, with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. Many people have said to me, Oh, I don't want people to follow me. I want them to follow Jesus. That is a biblical travesty and unsound doctrine. Just as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we own the name of Christ, you should say, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
So therein lies an incredible challenge to us this year. That we would walk like Jesus in order people to walk like us, who will also walk like Jesus. It's a cop out to say, well, look at Jesus and don't look at us. You know, if we belong to Jesus and he has truly saved us and set us free, then who the Son sets free should have been set free indeed. And we should be a different kind of people. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new species of being. I've said to you many times before, I am not a man. I'm a born again man. And there's something different about that. Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. So I'm really challenging you this morning. Who are you discipling to faith? And it's a cop out to say, well, I'm not discipling anybody because I'm not strong enough. Some of you are stronger than you think. And some of you know your Bible more than you think you do. And some of you have been through many dangers, tolls and stairs. And I've got so much to import into other people. Why don't you just simply ask somebody this week, can I pray for you? Or is there anything that you've been worrying you that we can talk about? And then start to show them the love of Christ. Don't start with a major theological debate of whether they love God or not. I've been to many, many houses, more than I'd wish to count, to do funeral visits. I've sat with some of the toughest atheists in the world. And when I say to them at the end, do you mind if I pray? Not one of them has said no. Because the truth is, as Billy Graham said, there's a God-shaped hole in everyone that only God can fill. You, we need to understand that in the New Testament, we're living in a different era. So the Old Testament taught us that if we were to touch somebody that was unclean, someone outside the purpose of God, somebody who had <coughs> done some nasty stuff, that we would become unclean and that we'd have to wash and make a sacrifice. The teaching of the New Testament is something different. When Jesus touched the leper, the leper became clean. So herein lies the difference. The Christ in you can touch people's lives where they're at right now. So at the beginning of 2022, as we start this series, The Chosen, The Called, you are a chosen people. God is calling us all to the great commission of going out into all the world and making disciples. Don't start with one, start with several. See who God is highlighting in your world and start to make a difference and see what the Lord will do. Simplest way, sometimes I think we have to think we've got this great big tick list of what we've got to tell them if they're going to come to know Jesus. It's to just take some time praying over your friends today and say, God, what is it you want me to say to them today? It could be you just ring up and say, Joan, how's your marriage doing? Uh, things work good. Do you want to come for a coffee? Sid, I've heard that your wife's poorly and she's having to go to the hospital. Can we help with any of that? There are thousands and thousands of ways to start a discipleship relationship. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. Bless the Lord. Well, I don't know whether you enjoyed that this morning, but I enjoyed it. I've preached myself happy. So it's uh, good to be in God's house. Even though there's just the two of us, we've broken bread, we've prayed. And we've shared the Bible together. So I'm going to dismiss you now with a prayer. Uh, please, please, please this week, just stay safe. Uh, help people.
live a godly life, keep on praying, keep on trusting, keep on believing. I believe that this is a new season for us as a church. And uh, by the grace of God, we'll be here next week and we'll be preaching about the, uh, the wedding party, why Jesus would create all of that wine and um, some other fun questions. But right now, let me just pray the blessing of God upon you. Uh, you might be poorly where you are. In fact, let me just make two appeals. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I don't know who's on live stream or who will be watching this later. But if you don't know Jesus, I want to just introduce to him. He's the, he's the son of the living God. Born of a virgin, lived an exemplary life, did nothing to deserve his death, but was put to death on a Roman gibbet. The Romans didn't take his life. Jesus laid it down. He said, I lay down my life. And he laid down his life that he might be your atonement. He might take your sin and put you in right relationship with God. And now he lives at the right hand of the Father, having risen from the dead, praying for you. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, my prayer is, Holy Spirit, would you go into homes right now, convict people of their sin, cause them to want to know you. Lord, highlight your love and your grace in, them in this moment. And let them reach out to you in this second and be born again of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. And for those who just need a healing touch this morning, you want to lift your hands to heaven. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that across our live feeds during lockdown, you are healing people and saving people. And you are still doing that right now. And so I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit just to flow through the devices, through the telephones, through the tablets, through the laptops, through the desktops, wherever, however people are watching us this morning, I pray the power of God will enter into homes, that, Father, we will see signs, wonders, and miracles after the preaching of the Word of God in the name of Jesus. So set people free, I pray, in your precious name. Amen.